was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> hey, what's up? Welcome. Like you, <laughs> you looked so ready to say something. That was something. it. I, that's, that's... On a podcast, you just start by thumbs upping, I which know. doesn't work because people are listening and not watching. You know, someone's driving in their car right now and they're like, what is this? What is this silence? What is this? Welcome to all this noise. With some noise. With some <laughs> intermittent chatter and noise. I like when you're watching a Netflix show and it says indistinguishable noise or chatter, you yes. know, as like the sub. Yes, that would be our caption. I'm like, oh, it's I guess that's what, the, that's what you call that. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Uh, Chad Kenny here, Valerie Lee. I'm over here. Hi. Hey. Hello. Okay. So... We're silly. We had some Krispy Kreme donuts. We're, we're getting a little sugar rush yeah, right I now. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we're a bit sugar high. Um, but we decided because this is our first episode with just us yes not to say it's any you know less any less with just us okay everyone we're cool too i'm just kidding um no but this is a good opportunity i think for us to introduce ourselves a little bit i think a lot of people listening obviously have some inklings of who we are or what we might have done or been involved with mm -hmm. but it's always helpful because i feel like both of us have had long-ish careers in yes. music both as fans and professionals in one way or another right and yeah so i guess chad oh tell us okay what is your elevator pitch of your life <laughs> elevator pitch of my life <laughs> Let's no see. pressure well i think it started all the way back in the second grade <laughs> when okay. mrs jacobson asked me no um <laughs> uh well los angeles native you know, uh, I rare. Uh, yeah, rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Los Angeles, I love music. Um, electronic music, in particular, has been my calling for oh, fifteen plus years now. Primarily as a DJ. Uh, yeah, yeah. DJ Gojira was my name. Right. Um, but I went to UCLA, saw Daft Punk when I was 18, as you probably heard on the Glenn episode, mm -hmm. and the rest was history. I decided that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, throwing parties and running a record label and did management, graphic design, did all these kinds of things uh, while I was in college and getting out of it, try to break in. In 2012, though, I, met, I started working with the Brownies and Lemonade guys, started throwing parties in LA, and... That has taken me to these amazing places. Mm -hmm. uh, ended up working at Fool's Gold and Warner Records as an A&R. Uh, became known, I guess, as like a tastemaker. Yeah. If that means something. Yeah. No, I feel like there's a lot of, in there that people don't know because I feel like a lot of folks know the Brownies crew, of course. Mm. You know, there's, there's not that many of you, so I feel like it's easy to figure out who's who. Yeah. But... I don't think a lot of people know who does what in the Brownies team necessarily. Right, so, right. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. always kind of interesting, too, because we wanted the brand to kind of speak for itself. And mm -hmm. I do think that it's really important to have individuals who, like, kind of are ambassadors or embody the brand. But, you know, I've, I've been the creative director for a little while now. And just, you know, I put together, like, the direction of the look of things with my partners and book the shows. And then obviously front and center up here sometimes. Which uh, you've been doing more of. Been doing more of. And, you know, Valerie worked at, at Twitch. <laughs> yes. We'll get to her. <laughs> we'll get to me in a second. Uh, that's Don't talk a, about me yet. <laughs> that's the first time we started working together during the, uh, the during the Panini uh, <laughs> when we were, uh, when we were working on uh, live streams during lockdown. Yeah. And uh, that was super fun. And yeah. that, that's kind of where we cut our teeth on doing content stuff. And then that led to doing stuff like this. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and Val went to USC, so she That's obviously true. is inferior. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Ouch. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but I will say, before I talk more about myself, I will say I think it's really cool because I come from a media background, which I'll talk about more in a second, but mm-hmm. I think media has changed so much over the past five, ten years, and it feels like now, especially in like the music space, and then if you really whittle it down to like the dance music space, there's not a ton of media outlets or voices really left. So I think mm. it's, it feels like people really enjoy when they've already built a trusted relationship with a curator like a Brownies, and then that curator realizes that they can also speak back to people. Mm. And so it's cool that, you know, the team has been doing more content stuff like our little podcast as well hey and we needed you it this would not have been i don't think it has the same kind of spice and and that um i don't know it's just it feels a lot fuller with you Mm. involved in it you know because i think well because i think that our reach only goes so far or there's only there's only a certain perspective that we have Mm. and i think you have a really uh wonderful voice and 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 uh sort of story and your own relationships that you bring to this podcast why thank you um well i guess that's a good lead-in for me to tell people out there more about myself um i've already mentioned i come from a media background but i should actually say that i come from a blogging a humble blogging beginning (laughs) Like many of us do. Um, I am not from L.A., but I'm from California. I'm from Northern California. And I kind of made my way down to L.A. I started going to school in the Bay Area. And then I came down to L.A. at USC. Don't be a hater. Um, but University of Spoiled Children. I'm just kidding. No, you're definitely not I'm wrong. Ch- <laughs> you're 100% not wrong. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I got a really good taste of music even loving music before I even thought about working in music. Because mm-hmm. if anyone knows anything about the Bay Area, there's like such a unique music scene there, not only on the dance music side, but Bay Area hip hop, so much like legacy and lore on that side of things, which I was definitely into. And then when I started going to school there, we would go to like forest raves and it was dubstep <laughs> and, you know, Porter Robinson was coming up and he was playing like the tiny little club in Santa Cruz. Nice. Shout out if you know what motive is. Yeah, yeah. Terrible Shout club. Out. Just yeah. kidding. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's like how I started getting into music because it was so interesting, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. it really attracted weirdos of all sorts shapes and sizes and I really like that and then I came down to LA and I've always been a writer I've loved writing all my life so it felt natural to start just writing about the music that I was discovering and then also LA's music scene is amazing and Mm -hmm. I started going to shows that were bigger scale bigger sizes and I honestly started writing a lot about cultural things that I was noticing like I remember I talked about the insomniac versus hard conversation like before it is what it is today. Right. And that kind of got me interested in like the inner workings of music and like the way that it affects culture and young people and all that kind of stuff. So I became a blogger at Dancing Astronaut. Many nice. people Shout out know. DA. We love DA. Still going <laughs> strong. And did that through college. And then I graduated and had no idea what I was going to do. And I ended up falling into this path. I... Started working for International Music Summit, which is a music conference focusing on dance electronic um, based in Ibiza. And they were actually starting a conference in China. 
the year that I joined. So I helped them do that nice. and went kind of all the way around the world, which was a really great learning experience. And then that led me to a role at MixMag at the LA office and helping them start their kind of North American voice mm -hmm. for a brand that is very well known, but very heavily European based. And you did a lot of great things for the community there, I think. Thank you. I, we yeah. we definitely, if anyone knows about the Mixmag Lab era, oh, everyone yeah. talks about it so fondly. Yeah. And all I remember is being a slave to the Mixmag Lab every week. <laughs> and it was great. It was so fun. It was truly one of the best eras I think LA has had. Right. For music, at least our space in music. So did that. And that ended up kind of leading me to, I was a host for Coachella's live stream for a couple of years. Totally. Which is really fun. A lot of people probably seen you. From yeah, if there. I look like slightly familiar and you're like, maybe I've seen <laughs> it's you. It's not Peggy Goo. <laughs> not Peggy Goo, but maybe it's because you've watched that. Um, and then I kind of stepped into music tech. We worked together at Twitch. I was there working mm -hmm. on the music team during COVID, which was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And now I work at a different corporation, which I won't name. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just well, for now. You'll well, have to find out if you want to know. Yeah. Uh, let's get some, uh, you know, suggestions in the chat on like where you think that she, uh, yeah, yeah. Where do I work? Why did I just say know. chat? Like this is not Twitch. Cause it's... you think you're on Twitch, but, but yeah. So uh, that's can we get Pog in the chat right now for Val? <laughs> all the podcasters are like, what is he talking about? Can we get Among Us? Um, all right. All right. Reel it back in. Reel it back yeah, reel in. Reel it back in. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me and I feel like it's been cool cause I definitely came up in the very California scene mm -hmm. of loving EDM at its peak, you yeah. know, like yeah. seeing Avicii, seeing Cascade, all those guys who were really creating the hits that I still love, honestly, to this day. Um, but then getting a taste of like house and techno and getting like a really global perspective from working at Mixmag and kind of traveling the world. So, yeah, I think I just have an appreciation for music in so many different shapes and forms so that's awesome yeah, yeah. I, I think that between us we've really kind of touched upon almost all areas of dance music like have we um, seen it all Chad? Have we seen... <laughs> you think we've seen it, it all uh, there's quite yeah i think <laughs> achievement unlocked yeah there it is uh, yeah no i'm uh, that, that that is interesting I, there's a lot of areas in which you you know operated in that i'd never yeah. You know, at the house and techno vice versa, not really, I think. yeah and yeah. vice versa mm -hmm. uh avici and sort of Cascade and stuff. Going to be honest, not really stuff that I was really into at the time. Whoa. But you missed out. I'd also, yeah. <laughs> but I also think I had been, it was like what we talked about on the episode with Glenjamin. Like I was ushered in on that, like when dance music was still related to kind of like rock mm -hmm. a little the bit French. more. Yeah. So when it started to kind of veer into like more pop kind of leaning territory, yeah. especially with Prague and a lot of that stuff. Uh, progressive house. Sorry, I don't mean to uh, yeah, yeah, assume yeah. everyone knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> but and stuff like that. It just it just wasn't really for me. It yeah. just wasn't something that I was into at the time. I was kind of going in a different direction mm -hmm. that led me more to like where the SoundCloud era was. All mm -hmm. stuff that I actually wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, now if you, now that you have a little bit of a sense of who we are, yeah, the other two people like who are talking more. over your guests. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you like us still i don't know hopefully. well maybe like val but i understand if you don't like me my name is chad so it's not <laughs> but this is the running joke that this is my favorite chad okay thank so you. the anti-chad he makes a good name for most chads out there but um the one who was pro prophesized to bring balance to chad kind <laughs> <laughs> to chad kind. chad kind no i wanted to do an episode with just you and i though for that reason so yeah. people get a little bit more familiar yeah 
I think that we we are in service of our guests and our audience. Like as the number one thing, we're we're just interested to talk to people. Yeah. But I think like we also individually bring something cool to um to this as well. We have lots of thoughts. Yeah. We have so many thoughts. <laughs> a lot so, of thoughts. A lot of noise. Yeah. And I, I actually think that's a great thing to point out that we come from really different backgrounds and I think have seen different parts or enjoyed, I guess, different parts of music because that's something that I've always had so many opinions about. I think totally. dance music is one of the most and I won't I won't take us too far off topic, but I do just want to say I think dance music is one of the most what's the word? Like I don't want to say it's not like cannibalistic, but it's like all the subgenres fight with each other and we're like, no, dubstep's cooler than techno and techno's lame <laughs> or techno's cool. And it's and definitely very fractured. Very know? fractured. And it's but it's so interesting because it's like people really do come from all different directions. And I've always been of a mind where I'm like, I appreciate all of them. I may not listen to all of them and personally enjoy them for what they are, but I think that as a dance music fan, there's a couple of things that I think we all have in common, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. like the experience and the way that it can, the music connects you to other people. So I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with it, but I just hope that people out there, like whatever genre you feel like you come from, whether you relate more to Chad or more relate more to me, Team Val. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, USC versus UCLA. Yes, exactly. Uh, North versus South. Oh my God, California. Yeah, right. Not not the the greater conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I think I think I hope that this is a great place for all of us to unite. Oh God, yeah. it sounds a little like cheesy, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But no, no, I think there is. I I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I because there is. I, I've referenced it on this pod already, and yeah. I, I'll always allude to it or bring it up, but like. The genrefication, gatekeeping, and separation of things within dance music to me is like, you know, it's just par so for the course, but it's just so lame, especially when you get yeah. older. But I understand for younger younger people and also older people, um, <laughs> OGs, yeah. that it's just, it's something to hang on to because yeah. music is so tied to identity. So yeah. I can't be reductive in saying that that isn't a valid way to appreciate and celebrate your community, your sub-community. And, and it's your, great to have passion for what you exactly. care about. And I do think all the different little sub-genres do have really unique things that make them different from one another. But yeah, anyways, I, th- I think people will learn a lot. And I think that's why we like doing this podcast in the first place, because whether it's someone that we've known for a really long time, a brand new person, mm-hmm. or someone really big who like you think you know a lot about, but maybe they like come in here and they tell you some funny things and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. No, I love that. I so. think this is where we're going to, I think some, some, um, some myths will be debunked Ooh. and maybe some minds will be liberated Ooh. and maybe some drums will be and based. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very mystical. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, let's... maybe some bass will be boosted. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. Uh, let's talk about, I've wanted to talk about this yes. for like a week now. No. <laughs> <laughs> for a whole week. <laughs> it's been a whole week. Yeah. I just needed to get on the mic. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's really interesting because I think my outlook on dance music, look, you know, since 2007, right? So we're looking at 16 years now that I've been front front and center like in in it deep yeah um and i think sometimes it's hard to identify like what's happening in the moment Mm. like right now 
there is definitely something happening in dance music that is like it's moving right yeah and I'll, I just want to say this and then we can kind of get into the topic, but like coming out of the pandemic, there was this kind of weird, there's this weird kind of enthusiasm, but also a fear mm. with going back to live shows, mm-hmm. right? Because it was like, everyone was just ready to rage. You know, you, you were talking yeah. about it, like it was going to be like the roaring 2020s. That yeah. was something we talked about on a, sh- a Twitch stream that that you, we um, were discussing in the moment. Yeah. But we didn't know what that was going to be like when things opened up again. Mm-hmm. And then they did. And I and Brownies and Lemonade, we opened several venues. Like we did yeah. one of the, the first big club shows in LA uh, at 1720 with Zoo and Zed. And it was so hectic like the thought process of like checking vaccination stuff is this going to be a super spreader thing are people going to behave themselves and there's all these questions but what i'm getting at is that like there was this long i feel like process coming out of the pandemic where Mm -hmm. it really felt like dance music had was just not in a great place and i I, i'll personally say that i I know know. i I actually i i mean i want you almost to even because I feel like this conversation is so interesting because I remember when you brought this up to me, you were talking about it on such a personal level. Like you felt, and I don't think you were alone in this, but you felt so uninspired or jaded about what the music scene was like, which is interesting, right? Because it's like, I think taking all of us back to that time that you were just describing, like it feels like it would be a really exciting time, right? Like being back out there, coming back after you're trapped inside for like, a year and a half or however long it was. And the music felt uninspiring, right? Yeah. That's how you kind of described it. Yeah, in a way, you know, and like, I feel like there was an, it was more of like an obligation than something that people were compelled by. Mm. Like, for instance, I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people did tours Mm -hmm. that the only reason why is because they were, had to make up for lost revenue. Like, like we were trying to, as an industry, we were trying to cram like two years worth of work into like an eight month span or, or right. less. Right. And I think it was just like people were overworked. People yeah. were scared or like, you know, unsure. Or of things what were really difficult, right? Because like you were just saying, like the vaccination thing was tough. Things yeah. were really expensive because no one had been making money for that long. Yeah. And touring and is really hard for artists, which is a whole different episode. That also, we the energy at shows were strange. Uh, attrition rate <laughs> went up like crazy. A lot of people were just not going to shows. Like they were yeah. buying tickets, like sold out, but like mm-hmm. 20% of people just wouldn't show up. Right. I heard about a show at Brooklyn Mirage main stage, completely sold out. And like 1,700 people didn't show up. Crazy. If it's like a 5,000 person show and 1,700 people don't show up, you visibly see it, even though it's sold yeah. out. And so a lot of artists were like, whoa, this is kind of like weird. Like yeah. I didn't feel, you know, and also let's keep in mind, Coachella didn't happen for two years in a row, which was like, that, that was to me one of the craziest things. <laughs> I'm sure for you too. It was like, what? <laughs> this thing that every year signifies the beginning of summer. It's gone. Uh, and then also EDC was in October. Right. And I, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people felt like we, we it, it didn't feel like it was the authentic, like the real thing for mm. a minute. And I know a lot, I will say, last thing I'll say about 2021, for me, it was one of the hardest years, both personally and, and career-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mental health took a really hard toll from that jump from zero to like 110. Yeah. However, 
Even though I've been saying that I felt like dance music as a whole was contracting, the streaming numbers didn't really indicate that there were any like superstars on the radio anymore. Mm. It felt like people didn't really care about like the artists as much as they did in its like heyday uh, in the t- mid 2010s. Something has been changing. And I think it was like since. I'll say Coachella or even EDC of 2022 until now. I like that those are your like markers of time. I think so. Chad (laughs) says years in Coachella. Coachella and EDCs. Yeah, you got it. And it didn't really hit me. I'll be honest until. Well, I first started to feel this way. uh, When I went to go see Skrillex at Red Rocks in April. Okay. And he did a five hour set. Yeah. And it was like. All the hits, like everything he made, you know, Jack U, Scary Monsters Night Sprites, all the, you know, Jay Baldwin, Kendrick Remix, all of it. It was just phenomenal. It was like one of the greatest moments of my career of just like just <laughs> being there and, yeah. and getting to be with him afterwards. Yeah. And then just, I don't know, just like this last couple of weeks, I just realized, I think that we're entering a renaissance of dance music. Yeah. And I think that that's where I'm at. I just watched this stuff of Fred again at Glastonbury, and I was just, like, so blown away. I was like, I think we're, like, it's just, like, there's something going on right now. And I would love to hear your take on that, because also I know that you were at this Fred again Skrillex Fortet set at Coachella. I was in there in person. I watched the live stream. Mm. But that also kind of felt like there was something. Like, Like, the way that people were talking about stuff is just different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, because I feel like what I think is also interesting is that when you were walking through your experience and, you know, coming back, it makes sense that a lot of your focus is on the live show part because, you know, Brownies is out there throwing shows. But I think that it was also a really interesting time to be just a fan of music who hadn't even been out there attending shows yet, or maybe you lived somewhere where the shows weren't happening quite as often. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's true, right, that dance music specifically is very experience-based, and it's really hard. Like, I think we all tried our very best, like, listening to all the Twitch streams and being on Zoom and getting together in little pods or whatever to be like, we love this experience. But <laughs> I think it also, I and I would definitely bet that it it affected a lot of artists in the way that they made music because it's really hard to like make dance music when you're like, I haven't been to a club or at a festival or been with my friends to actually experience it for a while. Yeah. And so... And it certainly affected, sorry, it certainly affected dance music that was released during that period. Yeah. Didn't really get the reception that it would have had it been played in a live setting. Right. One thing that comes to mind is the Lady Gaga album, um, Chromatica, Mm -hmm. which I thought was just like a banger, but just didn't get a tour. Are you a Gaga stan? Honestly, (laughs) no, but kind of a little bit after that album. Anyway, continue. Yeah. And I I just think it's it's worth noting because I remember on my side, like that was something that I felt strongly about where... The music part of it was tough and like obviously not being able to go to shows was hard, but like even just enjoying the music felt really different. Yes. Like it was a lot of like revisiting old favorites and like listening to maybe different genres of music, honestly, and taking a break from it for for a while. So I think that part was important, but I do think this renaissance that you're talking about, because I think I'm fully in agreement with that. I think it's been a slow build for a while and I think we can't 
not talk about Fred again in that whole conversation because I feel like he was... I feel like, honestly, you know, there's so much to be said about Fred again just as an artist, but I feel like he was a significant part of this renaissance that we're talking about because it was, like, the perfect stepping stone for people, right? Yeah. Like, his music is so very much about translating the emotions that we all felt Mm -hmm. in pandemic times Mm -hmm. into an experience, right? Yeah. And even, like, the visuals that he does, like, it's very... Like, it's all iPhone and, like, very, like, DIY. And that just, like, felt, like, relatable, I mm-hmm. think. Like, it would be hard to just come back and be, like, blasted in the face by, like, crazy lasers. And you're like, oh, my God, I've been in my living room for, like, two years. Yeah. Like, this is a lot. Totally. So, and it wasn't, it's not all just, like, unbridled joy and euphoria from his music. It's, yeah. like, there's a real sadness there. There's a lot, actually. I yeah. think, like. I think now, I mean, people have spent a lot of time with Fredigan's music, but, like, there's a lot of sadness. And I think he's talked, like, in bits and pieces about the grief that mm-hmm. he was kind of, like, experiencing. So I feel like that was all very well translated. Yeah. Um, but and then, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, finish, finish the thought and then no, I have no, a question. No, no. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, so what was it like when you were there for this headline set where they were kind of filling in and saving the day? Mm. And, like... You know, there was like this, it felt like an overwhelming, this is what I always say about the mm-hmm. audience response. Mm-hmm. It, the audience narrative was like, this was the greatest, one of the greatest moments in dance music. Mm. But I feel like you had kind of like maybe a, a little bit of a different feel. And like, you understood the importance, but yeah, is it like, we're just so, is is it like we put a lot of emotional investment in people like Skrillex and mm. like what it means to us symbolically more than just like the actual musical part of it or even like, yeah. you know, because for me, I'm like, oh, they're just up there having fun and doing something, you know, yeah. but I wouldn't say that like I compared to like Fred again at Glastonbury, these are like two different things, mm. you know what yeah. I'm saying? But I understand that symbolic, yeah. symbolic stuff is also important. You know, yeah. In a way. I mean, I think that performance is a really interesting one because I think it is really different than each of them individually, like as artists and what they've done and especially like recently what they've done. I feel like that was more of that was more of a moment of I think maybe like almost in a way I want to be like I think it was a bookend of this like weird transition time that we've been in. Yeah. Because I feel like what you were describing, we all felt that right. Like shows were in different times of the year and people were acting differently and ticket buyers and fans were different. And also not even to say like, we didn't even talk about the fact that like, there's a lot of people who were teenagers or young during the pandemic and then came out of the pandemic and were like, Oh, I'm going to my very first shows ever. Um, That's a whole one experience. uh, Several people at our first show back ordered a margarita at a club. (laughs) They never ordered so a drink cute. before, so like I'll have a margarita. Wow, at least it's not a vodka Red Bull. You know, I feel like that's like the go. Oh, maybe you're like drinking that when you're like underage. Yeah. You know, like I just like, you know? <laughs> Jose, Jose smiling. It's just like, dude. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Tell me. I remember my first my first drink, but um, yeah. I, well, <laughs> I, w- I want you to finish your thought on this because I yeah. also I have a lot of really I have hard data. I see you have notes. I have he a lot of. I came prepared. <laughs> I yeah. got hard data and then I have like subjective thoughts, but I, but Incredible. give me like that, that feeling of like, yeah, yeah, what you thought about that experience being there at the, the yeah. Coachella set. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about that set. I think it was really monumental in many ways. And also in other ways, it was overblown for what it was. And yeah. we can talk about that at a different time. I love all the artists. I will say that. I don't think that, I think all the artists individually 
are fantastic and together they're very exciting. Um, but I will say that back to the thought that I was having of like, I do feel like it was a bookend in mm-hmm. many ways of like w- this transitionary period that we were feeling. Cause, and I talked a lot about this, um, about how it was so one of a kind for Coachella and for festivals in general, right? It was like, this had never happened before where an original headliner is announced. It didn't go so well the first weekend. And then they actually have to figure out what can be the save, right? For something that's as high stakes and high profile as like a Coachella headliner set. Totally. And I do love that it's so inherently just the spirit of dance music. Like no subgenres considered. Like I think something, again, we talked about this a lot with Glenn is that dance music is inherently punk, rebellious, a little like, you know, off the beaten path, a little DIY for sure. So the fact that it was one, like a dance music act that came in and saved the day. Not only was brought in to save the day, but successfully saved the day. Also, the reason why I also mentioned last year being maybe a starting point is because Swedish House Mafia, same thing. They had right. to save the day again with the weekend. Right. But I'm just, Which I, was an interesting performance. <laughs> right, right. I, but I do like what you're saying with the bookend. It felt yeah. like, or even the start of something new, like this yeah. new era. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think... Again, going back to the idea that dance music is so inherently tied to the experience of dance music. Like, I think you can listen as a fan, like, in your car or whatever. But, like, you really become a dance music fan when you go to your first shows and you, like, experience player culture. Or you're, like, in a dark, sweaty club and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, that's where you really become a fan of dance music. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, and I think that that performance is an interesting one because I think Coachella is so different than what it used to be at this point. Like, you know, it's a bit silly in many ways where, you know, there's all these famous people and influencers all the stuff. But, like, there's all spectrums of people that either go to Coachella or look at Coachella. And for that to be a big highlight moment, I think, is a... It's a big moment. It's a big moment for dance music. And I think you're right in that, like, yeah, it helps people realize that, like you can do things a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. I now. mean, no, it's, yeah, it's so interesting because I saw so much fanfare and I'll, I'll I want to move on to talking about the to hard, your, to your hard this, data. These, this, <laughs> <laughs> these excellent numbers that I have cooked up here. Um, but you know, like uh, I, the, res- the response I saw just between, you know, week one and week two, night mm-hmm. and day, right. People week one, they're like, after that Frank shit set, I was at the Frank set. And it was that, that we'll talk about that another time. I love that uh, set. Fight <laughs> see, me. This is a whole episode. <laughs> but there was a there was a feeling of like deflated feeling. Like mm. a lot of people said, like no one really like kind of stuck around on mm. Monday. And like, you know, like the Sunday night vibes were like whack, going back to campground and stuff yeah. and going home. Yeah. And that the set from Pangborn House Mafia, uh, <laughs> as they are <laughs> refer to themselves, uh, like there was just like a buzz. Mm. Like people went back to the campgrounds and they were stoked. And then mm-hmm. the next day they were like, bro, were you there? It was so awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what dance music kind of can create, you know, mm-hmm. in, in those moments that it, it doesn't have that same weight that like something as serious and important as a Frank Ocean set needs yeah. to be. And I know? feel like also just to like finish up that thought also is like not even talking about like the actual set itself. Like there's a lot actually in the set itself that, uh, supports what you're saying because it wasn't a polished set. You know, like even like an act like Swedish House Mafia, like when they do headline, like 
they're playing their big hits. They right. know exactly what they're playing, but like the the trio really played kind of whatever they wanted, specifically Forte, as we know. Like he was playing Taylor Swift and stuff, and it was very bizarre, I will say, but also <laughs> like cool because you know who else is going to do that? Like not that many people are going to do that right. with that opportunity. Right. But anyways, and that on. that that is the the goodwill it generated because it did feel like someone had said the highest level of like three dudes DJing on someone's kitchen counter at, at an apartment party, you know, yeah. but like, but I understand like the merit to that leads me to my point of like, I feel like now we're getting into this era of dance music where it's like, we're going back to like where it started, like this really simplistic kind of, but there's so many different layers. There's like the, the simplicity part of it, but even at the highest levels, like you're seeing people who it's like their production needs to be extremely stripped down now mm. and they want to be in the crowd in a 360 layout um, in the round, you know, as many people on stage as possible with the people. Yeah. Chris Lake and Fisher, Fisher, they just had a ton of people on stage and some lights, you know, yeah. it was like, it's, we're going back to like simplicity and a lot of things. Yeah. Which, which, which is always the case, right? It's always cyclical. It always swings back the way it came. So I feel like we, we literally were at the peak of like things being so overproduced, yeah. over commercialized, which is funny because like dance music is always seen as like the black sheep of music genres, I think. Yeah. But it's funny that like, still in our most commercialized sense like we still were the black sheep of music but anyways um i feel like we swung so hard that way that people were just like over it yeah and that is when what a lot of people said when the bubble burst exactly so yeah. let's talk about let's talk about some of this stuff so right. he's referring to his notes now i'm ready <laughs> i don't know if you saw this but uh they, it just recently came out that uh global dance music revenue in 2022 yeah was 11.3 billion which according to the report the global dance music industry grew by 34% year on year mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, 11 billion, 16% higher than pre-pandemic. Now, one of the things that's interesting to note is that streaming, I think one of the areas in which we felt like dance music kind of regressed was like, mm. we weren't getting as many like chain smokers, marshmallow, Zed type artists on the radio, like in the peak. I feel like the bubble burst around like 2016 and then from 2016 until now, it's been kind of like a little stagnant. We haven't had covers. like, yeah, a lot of, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But we haven't had electronic music stars as in the forefront of the culture or on the radio. Yeah. It's been a lot of rap, like mm-hmm. trap rap and Atlanta uh, based rap and a lot of, you know, pop mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff was really more front and center. Yeah. Now we've seen that streaming numbers for, for, uh, for dance music has actually gone up mm. oh, considerably. So, uh, in the quarter three of 2022 streaming for dance music increased by 7.4% year on year so far. And uh, ahead of the overall streaming market growth rate of 6.4%. And a lot of that is because Drake, The Weeknd, and Beyonce released dance music records last year. Yeah, for and, sure. And But also, it was indicative of the change in perception of culture, which is like, mm. we're going back to like, you know, week, The Weeknd's version of music was like very like, it's like very like arpeggiated, you know, like uh, Giorgio Moroder kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. Beyonce's record, also called Renaissance, yeah, was a lot Last of disco, a mm-hmm. lot of uh, that kind of inspired. And then, yeah, Drake just made kind of a house record that kind of spoke to the 
kind of the emerging sounds of, yeah. you know, I'm a piano house. and house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what I'm thinking here is that it's, we're not getting like those like insane kind of like crossover artists going from dance music into the mainstream again. Like we have to give Zed at Eminem's commercial or whatever, <laughs> but like the entire pool has just like widened so much. Like, and it's yeah. so deep now that, um, there's just, that, that's one of the reasons why I think we're living in such a amazing time for dance music is because mm. there's just so much to draw from. What do you, what do you think of when I say that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a hundred percent. I mean, when you were reading through the stats, the first thing that I thought of was Beyonce and I feel like there's so much to unpack there also, but I think it cannot be understated the impact of an artist like a Beyonce and a Drake deciding to put a light on house music, dance music, especially for fandoms that are probably unaware and have no idea who some of the people that they collaborated with, like they don't know who Honey Dijon is. They don't know who Gordo and, and Kind Music are, you know. So if they're checking them out via Drake or Beyonce, it is for sure opening the pool quite a bit. And I would like to think that it means that you know, those artists have such influence on fans and other artists as well that, like, that's it's an overall win for dance music, I'll say. And I think it's another interesting trend now because I feel like within dance music, what I feel like is happening is actually, even though I know we spent some time in the beginning of this episode talking about how the subgenres like to fight with each other and be like, we're better, you're lame or whatever. I actually think it's becoming, and I think the younger generation has a lot to do with this, where it's less of that now within mm -hmm. dance music because, you know, we see artists that were maybe making a certain kind of music before. Now they're exploring kind of like house and techno flavors and, and vice versa. And like Gordo's like an artist who is now making house when he used to make like trap. And like, well, he was one of, I think, I'm not going to say any anything sort of about gordo slash carnage yeah uh, not nothing negative but i think that when carnage was at his height mm -hmm. like i used to watch the carnage shreds ultra video with, with him and like dubs up there like you know yeah. it, it had hidden this like this this caricature of like djs as being like the most silly corny yeah. guys and the way he's rebranded the way people have yeah. kind of repositioned themselves is really speaks to the way that dance music is actually accepted now and perceived one of the things i think is important is that back to the notes when the bubble verse <laughs> we are your friends in 2015 the movie was zach efron and oh god <laughs> you know i think that that was like a critical point of like this is lame like uh, yeah. dj culture is lame yeah like trying to like you know trying to make it seem like I don't know. I feel like there was an attempt to legitimize dance music as comparable to other genres like rap and like other yeah. stuff and, and having that like seriousness and like putting people like <laughs> Zed and Avicii in like mainstream commercials and stuff. Yeah. And it just, it was like when Ninja was like on billboards for streamers, you know, it's like mm -hmm. some people get it, but like most people are like, who is this guy with the blue hair, you know? And yeah. I think that it was the same for the DJs where it's like, I think we kind of realized like that's just not where, what they're best at. Yeah. And now I think that people just get what I realize is like when you go to like a basketball game and you hear like Gangnam Style and like uh, Hardwell and, uh, and Martin oh. Garrix oh. and Avicii Levels, <laughs> oh. you just hear those songs over and over again. Mm -hmm. that, all these children grew up with that music. 
Yeah. So it, they don't even have to think about it as EDM. That's like their child. That's just a childhood song they remember. Yeah. So I don't think we need to have this division anymore of what dance music is. I mean, does that something that you would agree or disagree with? I mean, yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I think that we... For, it's, it's interesting in like America it's so different than the rest of the world like Europe is kind of has always been like that like totally. kids like grow up with dance music and that just like is equivalent to pop music or hip hop music here I, I also I, I think it sorry I, I think I need to make sure that I I know that the global dance music mm. revenue went up and, I, and that's really important a lot of what I'm speaking from and what we're talking about, I think, is in North America because yeah. that's what we know. So mm -hmm. I just want to make that clear. Like, yes. I can't speak on what's happening in the UK or, or other areas yeah. with the same, you know. Yeah, because I think that, yeah, exactly what I was going to say is I remember this must have been like 2014 or something when I was in Amsterdam and I went to this like arena show of Armin Van Buren and I was surprised to see that a lot of the crowd was like in their 40s, 50s, like older, like almost as if it was like a, you know, like a like a rock crowd here in America, you know? And I was like, oh, they like grew up with this. Like this is like what they grew up listening to. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice actually to think about it that way where you're like, oh, kids just like grew up with that and that's like their pop music and their it's. Yeah, I don't know. That is an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, it. I see it a lot just because I work with a lot of young artists. Like, um, mm -hmm. ISOXO is one example. The first thing he, the reason why he got into DJing is when he was 13 years old, about 10 years ago, he saw a video of Skrillex and he said, I want to do what he does. Mm -hmm. And that started his whole life into where it is now. And uh, nine years later, he ended up playing back to back with Skrillex, you know? And mm -hmm. it's it's amazing that you know, that was the, like, I didn't have any, like, DJ culture was not along that, that far for mm -hmm. me at his age to think that at all. I'd be like, I want to be Paul Oakenfold. People would be like, what? Who's that? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think that it, the reason why the bubble burst is people were trying to, like, push, like, the chain smokers or people like this onto the same level as, like, traditional musicians. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, a good example is at the Grammys. Uh, I forgot what year it was, but... They're, you know how they like to do those crossover sets? Yes, yeah. They did one with like Dead Mouse and the Foo Fighters, and they like it was. They did. It was at yeah. It was at the height of trying to legitimize DJing and wait, music. Okay, this is great because when you were talking about earlier, you were talking about we are your friends, and in my head, I was like, wait, what is the peak lameness of dance music? <laughs> oh, there's. A song, and I want yeah. to know because I have a very. Clear... I read a Pitchfork article, and they had like. They ranked them. No, they like th this was written in 2016. They said the okay. bubble burst then, and they were listing like all the lowlights of EDM. Okay. They said Mike Posner is like uh, pill took a pill in a visa or whatever is like the ultimate Whoa, like nail in the coffin. Interesting. Although um, that's a it's a slapper though. It is a slapper. But uh, <laughs> wait, so what do you think? Well, test. What was the lameest thing? What is in your opinion? He claimed this. I know I'm I'm, I'm I distracting wanna, I from yours. your no, I want to hear hard fact. Okay, my the first thing that came to mind was the KFC DJ at Ultra Music. At Ultra, yeah. Yeah, that Oof. is like peak lameness. That's a pretty good one, honestly. That was bad, yeah. yeah. That was, I actually uh, think We Are Your Friends was pretty close, but like slightly enjoyable also. The KFC, <laughs> Jose, remember that? The KFC guy at uh, Ultra? Yeah, how <laughs> could you forget? Was it was a terrible ad, obviously, but they let him perform. Okay, thoughts? Uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. And that was actually pretty recent, though. That was right before the pandemic. Oh. 
See, that's bad. Recent. See? So super we did recent. need this renaissance because that's where we were at pre-pandemic. No, it was... We were KFC DJ. I mean, like, <laughs> this, this like, dead mouse playing with... Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters was bad. Yeah, and I then don't they cut to like that. Dave Grohl when Dead Mouse came on, and then Dave Grohl's like standing side stage, like, like just completely dying inside. <laughs> and then later on, he accepted an award for like best rock record, and he was like, "I know you guys are playing with your computers now and oh, making no. those sounds, but music isn't perfect. You know, it should oh. be imperfect, and people are going to come back to instruments because that's blah blah blah." And I was like, "That was then what I th- what I'm saying is that." People were trying to legitimize producing on a computer and mm. DJing as like on par with these traditional music. Just completely different things. Apples mm. and pears. Like two, di- maybe they can have similar tastes a little bit. There's mm-hmm. the time, but different different categories altogether. So one thing that I thought was really interesting though mm. is when the when I think. I think 2015 was like a really important time, especially because that's when Jack. I think Jack U was like really culturally mm-hmm. significant by tying in Justin Bieber. Yeah, elevating his career, all the stuff that Skrillex did, reviving and Diplo, his career, reviving arguably. his career. Yeah, yeah, like taking it to a next level. Yeah, and then everything Skrillex Diplo did with with Major Lazer, Lean On. I think mm-hmm. it was like a huge song that we always have to refer to. Mm-hmm. DJ Snake, all of these tastemakers, in addition to like the big pop guys. After that, it kind of transitioned more into like rap and pop, being mm-hmm. at the forefront of the culture and being the coolest stuff that like young people were into. And that's when you saw a lot of DJs and producers pivot where they're like, I don't want to make this dance music stuff anymore. It's lame. I want to do what Skrillex and Diplo did. I want to work with rappers. I want to work with Mm. pop stars. And it coincided with the proliferation of streaming on Spotify. A lot of people had a lot of ability to do DSP stuff, but it was different than SoundCloud. You needed to have like vocals. You had to have top line, you know, uh, chorus versus chorus structure. Like these were the things. Which I would argue has a lot to do with the nature of playlists. Mm-hmm. Because I think playlisting also has a huge effect on the trend of music mm-hmm. because people started making songs that were playlistable rather than like yeah. club bangers or, or stuff that they, yeah, that stuff they, that goes that off on stage. They and, were making things they weren't good at. Yeah. Know? And arguably now the add on to that in more modern times is like the TikTokification of music and how people have to make music that is TikTokable and ah. has like a little snazzy line that people can connect to and whatnot. Well, okay, so, so I'm glad you said that. So uh-huh. So the first thing was that <laughs> revenue is increasing, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the second thing is that I think TikTok and SoundCloud uh, are serving a really important purpose right now for young people. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of synergy between SoundCloud and TikTok in terms of like the purpose that, SoundCloud did serve for a particular generation, I think, during uh, a, a, a previous high point. And now TikTok is kind of acting the same way. But a lot of people on TikTok use SoundCloud as well, young people. Mm-hmm. It's very correlated. So I think that that's another thing. And you know what's really interesting? Going back to what we were saying about like people trying to legitimize things. I think that like people have now realized, like, no, I'm just going to make fucking bangers. I'm just going to make pop records, you know, and like mm-hmm. I'm just going to make... Like fun stuff because when e- when Calvin Harris played Coachella, he just played like an EDM like Avengers set. It's just like all of it came back together, and I think a lot of people were like, "Oh wow, we're back!" Like we've yeah. Kind of I mean, gone I was gonna say forward. I think it makes sense that basically where the pandemic started, we were deep in this playlisting controlled narrative, 
And then we were trapped at home. So what we had was TikTok, right? So that makes sense that people were then suddenly like, oh, TikTok gets to decide how the music trends go. But I think that's, again, back to, you know, your original point of this renaissance coming back to the live experience is really important because I think that's why we're seeing the trend now that music has to be more about the experience. Like, I actually think the TikTokification thing is starting to fade away. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's still there for sure, especially for more of, like, the pop music side of things. But specifically for dance music, like, there's a big reason why Tale of Us and, like, Afterlife is, like, the hot new thing, right? Because they've been doing that for a long time. They've been making that kind of music for a long time, and it hasn't been as popular as it is now. And it's because... They made all these crazy visuals and people saw it on the internet and they're like, I have to go see that in person. Eric Prids. Eric Prids, exactly. So, yeah. And I, I that yeah. is, that's another point that I have. You know, the revenue growth is mainly live events. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is I guess from where we're sitting, Brownies Lemonade, like we, we've been selling like, you know, tickets, which was something that we weren't really doing 100% before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, most of our events have sold out. I mean, almost like there's just an appetite for going out and going to experiences, even if maybe people can't name the most popular DJs right now that are coming up. Maybe they're not as many new rising artists, but in general, there's more open-mindedness to like discovery and going out and try like checking out things. I don't think it requires the level of investment that it did prior. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that as long as there's people who are curious and interested in going out, then you're in a good place. You know? Yeah. And I actually think that like, you know, I think for us as folks who are now, you know, a second generation or whatever you want to call us as far as like, we're not the young kids that are like just starting to go to shows now. Yeah. I feel like there is a really strong appetite for those kids who are, and also not only a strong appetite, but like they're really open to new types of music or experimental music or whatnot. So yeah. So I think it's it's an interesting place, right? Because it's like it's hard to be an emerging artist and like have a live show or go on tour and stuff like that. So there's a whole different can of worms we can open in a different episode about like the many different hats a new artist has to wear nowadays where like you, you're not just making music, right? Like you yeah. have to like be a director of your videos that you're posting. You have to be a social media marketer but and I think all that, that kind of stuff. Th- that so. is a really interesting conversation. And I, there's someone in particular I want to bring on for that one. Mm. Um, but going back to the tickets thing, you know, obviously Skrillex, Fred again, Fortet selling out MSG. I heard Black Coffee's uh, show at MSG also perform extremely well. I don't know if it sold out. I didn't look at that. Um, Fred again, eight shrines sold out, mm-hmm. 40,000 tickets. I mean, that, I mean, we're thinking about like impact here, you yep. know, and they, you know, Daft Punk did one show at the sports arena. And I remember we were talking to someone who was working on that show from Golden Voice and she was like, yeah, they just didn't really think that they wanted to do another night. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, we didn't think about things that way, but now it's really interesting to see like this, like people want as many shows. They'll just keep going back and, and over and over and over again to have you know, that that experience extended. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, I actually think it's an interesting thing to bring up because I feel like that's actually, even though I've mentioned that I feel like, you know, this Coachella show felt like the bookend of like a transition time for music. Yeah. I actually think that that's an interesting example of like, we're still playing catch up in a way because like a Fred again is such an example of an artist that was unheard of pre-pandemic and is still, is playing venues that like, 
a normal artist that has been in existence for as long as he has would be playing like a shrine show, but because he's gotten so big in so little time, he's playing eight shrine shows. Yeah. And that's actually, that's actually happening to a couple artists. Like I feel like on the pop side, it's like you think of like a an Olivia Rodrigo, right? She also was like a pandemic artist and was playing these tiny rooms, but could actually sell out an arena probably if she if she wanted to. If she put one on sale, I'm sure it would sell out. But Oh, totally. But yeah, but I think it's a we're still it's a good reminder that we're still in this transitionary period. Um, and I, I think it's cool. It's cool. Like, I think the music industry needs a little shakeup more often than not. Like, I think people who work in the music industry say that all the time. Yeah. So let this be our, you know, little shakeup and see what comes out of it. And I feel like the things that are coming out are actually really cool right now. You know, it, it's funny. The reason why I think I finally came around to this is I heard that John Summit song, <laughs> Where You Are. Yeah. And I was just like, holy crap. Like. I think like this is a this is like an all time song. That's so funny because you know how you said you were like I wasn't really into Avicii and Cascade. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like I don't know You're if it's having for... your Avicii and Cascade. Well, because I don't now. think it's for me, you know. But I, <laughs> yeah. I I had that same feeling. Yeah. As when I heard when I, mean, I heard Levels for the first heard time, levels or Vard Garrick's Animals, or <laughs> yeah. you know. But there's like there's like real like that's a real rave like yeah. Like and so that's the, a, that's a grab your friends and cry. Oh, totally. And we couldn't we couldn't do that when we were on Twitch. <laughs> it's just like a, a really exciting time. So I, I think that there's like this maybe there's this kernel of this idea that I but I think we're seeing some roots. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm happy that you're excited. I can see the excitement on your face. I was out. She <laughs> saw me by the second episode looks. of this podcast. So I was like, I'm I'm retiring. I'm gone. Yeah. And I think that's good because I feel like I mean. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people can relate to this where you spend too much time in a space, you start, I mean, again, everything's cyclical, you know, you'll have a moment where you're like, I'm kind of bored of this or like things don't feel exciting. So whether it's actually going back to the live shows or if it's the music or if it's the combination of both, like I do think, I I do think there's something out there for everyone right now, which is great. And I feel like if you are feeling how Chad was feeling before, like (laughs) keep digging or try like, you know, Go on the SoundCloud and like go on the weird TikTok sounds and like find those people because they're for sure out there. So I'm excited. It's nice. Go out to a show with your friends. Yeah, hug your friends. Just do it. (laughs) We just we we did this two two night show, uh, Rattleship in in uh, Alameda in the Bay Area, and uh, I won't say too much about it except like just seeing some of the experiences people were having, just walking around. It's just like you know how hard life is right now. Mm. And that the fact that like people can find, I'm so honored, obviously that it's at our show, but at any show in general, they can go out with their friends and have these like moments of just pure bliss where they can kind of just forget about mm-hmm. how difficult things are. And that was the Glastonbury thing too. You just see people in the crowd and you're like, this is like amazing. Like yeah, yeah, people are sure. transforming right here. Like this yeah. is, they're ascending. Which has always been, I think, one of the best things about dance music. I feel like actually almost every one of our guests so far has mentioned some sort of like dance music is escapism, even as they're making it. Uh-huh. So I think that 100% translates for myself as a fan, you as a fan, everyone out there. So... Well, there you go. Well, so this ended up being kind of positive. I don't know. I think it was always meant to be positive. I feel like, yeah. No, No, I feel like. The whole thing was positive, but I wanted to make a case for 
the good the good for the vibes. jaded for the jaded for out the there jaded. there's hope on the other side because <laughs> you know some salty ass dude is listening to this right now and you know i know it probably you... was you like a year ago <laughs> It's probably me. I'm going to yeah. listen to this later and be like, man, this guy. He's too chipper. Uh, but yeah, it's it's exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to bring on some guests right now yeah. and kind of hear them, you know, agree or disagree with that take. Yeah. Because I'm seeing it from a perspective that is very, you know, and your perspective too. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you are in dance music right now, there is like a palpable vibe. Yeah. I think... I think we can end on the note that things feel exciting and not only in the music, but also in person. So I'm happy about that. Well, so come on out to a show eventually. Yeah, do that. We'll see you there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of All This Noise. We'll talk to you soon. Wait, that camera.